morning. Uh, the Bible reading today is taken from John 7, 25 to 52, which can be found on page 867 of the Pew Bibles. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for, a short, for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still, others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on John's Gospel. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are God who continues to speak. And this morning, we see that you speak to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came from you and who returned to you and has given us your Spirit. And so as we uh, uh, read your word and hear your word spoken, uh, may we believe that Jesus is the Messiah 
the one who has come from you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, was Barack Obama born in the United States of America? Or was he born in Kenya? Well, for almost a decade, uh, or more than a decade, that was a big question plaguing American politics and became known as the Bertha Movement. Now, no one really cares where I was born, but it mattered a great deal where Barack Obama was born because, unlike me, he was the President of the United States. According to the U.S. Constitution, only natural-born citizens of the United States can be ever-elected POTUS. Uh, now, you might have uh, followed the Bertha Movement and known uh, that Donald Trump perpetuated the Bertha Movement for years. Uh, but in case you don't, uh, here's a quick summary. Uh, so, uh, about 20 years ago, in 2004, conspiracy theorists began questioning Obama's uh, birth, place of birth, when he was campaigning to become a U.S. senator. But it wasn't until Trump uh, considered uh, uh, running for the presidency in 2011 that it was on everyone's mind, because he'd go on talk show after talk show, and he'd question publicly President Obama's uh, place of birth. Uh, so much so that he actually urged the president at that time to show and release his birth certificate. And surprisingly, by April of that year, Obama does. He releases his long-form birth certificate, which states very clearly that he was born in the 50th state of America in Hawaii. And so you think that this would bring an end to this birther movement. But you have to remember that this is America. Trump questions the authenticity of the documents, and he says that he doesn't know if the birth certificate's real or not, even though it was widely analyzed and authenticated as genuine. And on top of that, a journalist went through a microfilm in the main state library and, uh, and looked through the published birth notices that were sent to the newsletters by the Hawaii Department of Health. And what the journalists found was that there were two different newspapers back in 1961, in the year Obama was born, on August 13th, the Honolulu Advertiser, and on August 14th, the Honolulu Star Bulletin published that Barack Obama was born in Hawaii. Now, you think that this would be a slam dunk for the Democrats and the president. But you have to remember, Donald Trump was involved. And so despite the overwhelming proof, in an interview published by the Washington Post in 2016, Donald Trump still refused to acknowledge that Obama was born on U.S. soil. Now, we go back 2,000 years ago. Working out where someone was born and where they came from was way more difficult than it was 10, 20 years ago. Not only were records scarce, but birth certificates weren't even introduced by Caesar Augustus until 4 AD for Roman citizens, let alone for Jews born in Palestine. Uh, but Jew Jews would have kept some record because their ancestry mattered a great deal to them. Uh, this is for at least two reasons. The first is that as the people of God and bearers of the promises of God, as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they were the ones who were the true descendants of God's people. But they weren't the only ones who were making this claim. You see, the Samaritans were too. Uh, and the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews was that the Samaritans had intermarried uh, with people from other nations. They were mixed blood, as it were. 
but they still claim to be the true people of God. But the Jews, they claim to be the true people of God, the pure blood, the true descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why we see that there is rivalry between the Samaritans and the Jews in the Gospels. Just as we, we saw in John chapter 4 when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, the second reason uh, your origin or ancestry mattered to you if you were a Jew 2,000 years ago is because it determined which tribe you would belong to. And so if you were born into the tribe of Levi, as an example, you'd be entitled to serve in the temple, uh, not just as a priest, but also to be a temple guard or temple police, as it was in Jesus' day. And so when you read of the temple guards and police in this passage, you think Levi, descendants of Levi. And if you were born in the tribe of Judah, then there is a, a distinct possibility that you might actually be a descendant of King David. And for through him, a son will be born, a king in the line of David, the promised Messiah would come. And so it shouldn't surprise us that as Jesus began to uh, teach with authority and perform miracles, uh, which were signs pointing to the fulfillment of the ages, that, the, that God was ushering in him, his kingdom that was promised long ago, that the Jews begin to question, is this the Messiah? In fact, in today's passage, it's the first time in John's gospel that Jesus and the promised Messiah is brought together. And so the people are wondering, is this the promised king from the line of David? While the Jewish authorities wanted to kill him, the crowds were still wanting to figure him out. Is this the Messiah? We see this in verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? And to get to the bottom of it, they, they question Jesus and debate amongst themselves concerning his origin, his place of birth. Where he comes from. Where does Jesus come from? Does he tick all the boxes to become the promised Messiah? Can Jesus prove, like Obama had to prove, that Jesus qualifies to be a son of David? We see this in verse 27. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. This is the original Bertha movement. The Jews think they know where Jesus comes from, like how some conspiracy theorists know that Obama was born in Kenya and not in Hawaii, but they actually don't. These Jews don't know where Jesus comes from. And to prove it, Jesus doesn't entertain their thoughts. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't bother presenting his birth certificate or calling upon witnesses who were there at his birth. He doesn't call for the midwives who delivered him or the shepherds who came to worship him. He doesn't call on the wise men who found him or present the gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh that he received at his birth as proof that he was born in Bethlehem. Because as significant as, significant as it is that Jesus was born to Jewish parents in the line of David, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of Scripture, Jesus convinces them that he qualifies to be the Messiah not only because his human birth fulfills scripture because that's a given. What Jesus says in this passage will blow our minds. <clears throat> he convinces them and convinces us that he is the true Messiah, the promised Messiah that they've been waiting for because he has come from God the Father and that he will return to God the Father. 
His origin is not just human, his origin is divine. So first, let's have a look at how Jesus shows and proves that he has come from God the Father. Now Jesus addresses his origin in this way. Because it explains beyond reasonable doubt why he can teach with such authority and perform with such signs. So verse 28. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm here on my own authority. I'm not here on my own authority, sorry. But he who sent me is true. You don't know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. You see, Jesus doesn't go back to his human birth. He goes back to his divine origin. Like we saw last week, you have to... You'd have to be a lunatic and out of your mind to say something like this unless you're truly a person from God. I mean, if someone comes to church today and tells you he comes from heaven and was born of a virgin and told you to follow him, you'd be right to think he's a lunatic, like someone who says he's a poached egg. But the difference with Jesus is that what he from what he teaches and from the miracles he performs, he can't be taken as a lunatic, otherwise it wouldn't make any sense of the response that the people had towards him. Because if he was a lunatic, you'd just ignore him. He wouldn't be a threat to you. It wouldn't matter what they say and what they did. But with Jesus, the response is very different. They don't say, this guy's nuts, just ignore him. They want to either kill him or believe in him. Verse 30, At this, they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. You see, if Jesus was a lunatic, then the Pharisees wouldn't have felt threatened by him. If Jesus was a lunatic, then the crowds wouldn't have been are considering whether to believe him or not. And if Jesus was a lunatic, then the people wouldn't have been in awe of his teaching and considered him a true prophet of God or the promised Messiah of God. Verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. And so in this passage, the question at the front of our minds as it was for the people back then, is how can Jesus be the Messiah if he comes from Galilee? You see, everyone knew that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was one of the towns in Galilee. It's a bit like how Mildura is a town in Victoria, or Bathurst is a town in New South Wales. It's a town of no significance, apart from the fact that Jesus was raised there. And so just imagine... Uh, it would be surprising for us uh, to think that the next prime minister would be a member of Mildura. Uh, m- most prime ministers are, are members of a, uh, of a place in Melbourne or Sydney or one of the major cities and not one of the backwater country towns. And it was even more unlikely for the Jews to comprehend the possibility that the Messiah would come from Galilee. Now, now there are two reasons given. The first is that they believe from Scripture that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and not Galilee. So verse 41, still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? 
Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Now, as you and I know, and as Matthew and Luke were at pains in pointing out in their Gospels, in the genealogy of Jesus, at the beginning of their Gospels, that Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem, in the town of David, in the line of the king. And so here you have the people reject Jesus, like some would reject Obama as a legitimate, naturally born citizen of America, because they believe he was born in Kenya and came from Galilee. Instead of looking at the evidence and seeing that Jesus was actually indeed born in Bethlehem, in the town of David, in the line of the king. And so there is a warning for us as we read of the Jewish response to Jesus. You see, we can be students of scripture, just as they were, and believe it is God's word. But we can still misinterpret it and get it wrong. We can make assumptions and we think we can know better, but we can be terribly wrong. And that's why we need to learn and read scripture, not just by ourselves, but also in community. To read the Bible together, not just here on Sundays as we open up God's word and hear God speak, but also in Bible study, for example. Now, discipleship teams is a great way to learn how to read the Bible and to read it together so that we don't make assumptions, we don't misinterpret, but that we can sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And so if you're not involved with the Bible study, let me encourage you to uh, talk to me about joining one of the two we have. Now, the second reason uh, the Jews couldn't accept Jesus as the Messiah is because they believed that a prophet doesn't come from Galilee. We see this in their interaction with the chief priests, the Pharisees and their table cards towards the end of the passage. Have a look from verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, remember in John chapter 3, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he was doing, he has been doing? And, and listen to this, verse 52, they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. You see, they can't fathom that a prophet can come out of Galilee. Now, it's actually not true that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. They actually get it wrong. Because we know that Jonah and Nahum and maybe many other prophets come from Galilee. You see, the problem here isn't so much Jesus' credentials, but their prejudice against him. Since he speaks with authority, they feel threatened by him. Since he's winning the people over, they're not willing to afford him procedural fairness. Since he's doing what only prophets can do, they say that no prophet comes from Galilee. That there's no reasoning with these people, just as reason can't convince a conspiracy theorist that they're wrong. So, for example, after Barack Obama was elected president of the United States, a conspiracy theorist attached a court, to court documents in 2009 a purported Kenyan birth certificate of Obama. 
but it was quickly debunked as a forgery because the birth certificate stated that it was issued by the Republic of Kenya. But back in 1961, the Republic of Kenya didn't actually exist because it was still a British colony until 1963. And then after the White House released Barack Obama's long-form birth certificate in 2011, conspiracy theorists quickly claimed that it was a forgery and was made with image editing tools like Adobe Illustrator. But even after factcheck.org reported that Obama's birth certificate had been seen, touched, examined and photographed and was confirmed to meet all the requirements for the State Department for proving US citizenship, in March 2019, that was only a couple years ago, a conspiracy theorist by the name of Corsi says this in a CNN interview. I want to see the original 1961 birth records from Kenya. They'll settle it. The state of Hawaii will not show those records to anyone. You see, when someone refuses to consider the evidence and be open to the truth, there's just no convincing them. It's like hitting your head against a brick wall. And so it was with Jesus. The powerful, the educated, they refused to be open-minded about Jesus and consider the facts for themselves because they saw him as a threat to the status quo. And if you read the Gospels, whether you're a Christian or not, time and again, Jesus will confront you. He will shake up the status quo. He will challenge the way we think and the way we live. And unless we're willing to consider the evidence and be open-minded about how sinful and wretched we truly are, and how gracious and generous Jesus truly is, we'll always resist him and not believe in him. We'll always excuse our behavior and our lifestyle and not humbly repent and come to the cross of Christ. Now you'll notice that the whole debate about Jesus' origin begins and ends this passage. And if you remember the chiastic literary device often employed to emphasize a point, what is at the heart and center of this passage, right? Well, what's right in the middle of it is Jesus speaking not about where he's from, but where he's going. You see, not only did Jesus come from God the Father, he will return to God the Father. Have a look at verse 33. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You look for me, but you'll not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Now, the Jews were completely confused by this verse. Uh, and we see their confusion in verses 35 and 36. And we would be just as confused as they were if we were there as well. But it is after Jesus is glorified through his death and resurrection and ascension that we actually understand it. And he makes that point in verse 33. But before we go there, notice the occasion Jesus is speaking to them. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival. Now this has to take us back to last week's sermon, to the start of chapter 7. Now remember from last week that Jesus went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths. Now during this festival, Jews from all over the Roman Empire would gather and ascend to Jerusalem for eight days. They, they would then set up booths or tents uh, with branches and leaves to live in. Uh, and it harks back to the time when the Israelites uh, wandered the wilderness towards the promised land and lived in booths or tents, uh, just as God dwelt amongst them in the tabernacle. And at the heart of this festival was water. Water because when they were in the wilderness, 
they didn't have water to drink until God provided them with water when Moses struck the rock and water came gushing out. Water because it was also the harvest festival. And without water, your grapes and your olives wouldn't grow. There would be nothing to harvest. Water because it was essential to life. And God was the one who gave water. God is the one who gives life. And so for the first six days of the feast, a priest fills a golden flagon with water from the pool of Siloam, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. He would then carry it and walk up the stairs towards the temple. And when they reached the water gate, three blasts of the shofar or a ram's horn would sound. And when they arrive at the temple and everyone's following the priest, they, they will process around the altar and sing the halal, which were Psalms 113 to 118. The people would shake their lulabs, uh, which were bundles of myrtle, palm and willow, and bound with a citron. And the priests would shake theirs made from willow branches. And so you can just imagine the excitement and the joy, the singing and the dancing that, that went uh, with this festival. The flagon would then be given to the priest on duty at the altar where he'd be standing with two silver bowls. One bowl for the water and one bowl for the wine. And then he'd take those bowls and he'll pour it onto the altar. And on the seventh day, they would do the whole thing again, but actually process it around the altar seven times. And then on the eighth day, the last day, there was no water ritual. It had all been accomplished. There was no flagon with water filled to the brim from the pool of Siloam. There was no singing and dancing at the altar. In fact, the people would be busy taking down their boots and their tents and packing their bags so that they can start going home. And at this moment where there is no water, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That is what the Festival of Tabernacles was celebrating. What the water from the rock in the wilderness was pointing to is Jesus. He's the climax of the ceremony. When the water ceremony comes to an end, Jesus is the one who says, come to me and I'll give you water. He's the source of water and life. And it's not just water that might quench a thirst on a hot day. He's living water that will well up into eternal life. And this living water can be yours by believing in Jesus in verse 38. Because he'll give you the spirit in verse 39, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. You see, just as Jesus offered the Samaritan woman living water in John chapter 4, so Jesus offers the Jews living water that will well up into eternal life, which is the Holy Spirit. And so if you want proof that Jesus is the real deal, the promised Messiah, the descendant of David, the one who ushers in God's kingdom, then don't just look at where he came from and that he was born in Bethlehem. Don't just consider that he came from God the Father and he taught with authority and did signs pointing to the ushering of the new kingdom. But look at the evidence of where he went. He returned to the Father and he sent his spirit. So look at Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came on the Jews on the day of Pentecost, when they, for, on those who believed in Jesus. Look at, look at Acts chapter 8. When the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans 
who believed in Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 10 and, and how the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles who believed in Jesus. And look around you here in this church and see that the Holy Spirit has come upon us for all of us who have believed in Jesus. Look at the evidence. Believe in Jesus. He is the promised Messiah who offers you living water. The Spirit who flows within you that wells up to eternal life. In August uh, 2016, as Donald Trump campaigned for the presidency at a, a rally in Florida, this is what he said about Obama. He's the founder of ISIS. Sometimes it's difficult to admit you're wrong. But when the evidence is so clear and convincing, so overwhelming and tremendous, that even someone like Donald Trump can't deny the facts. And so in September 2016, a month after he says that Obama founded ISIS, he blames Hillary Clinton for giving rise to the birther movement and finally admits that Obama was born in the United States. This is what he said. Now, not to mention her in the same breath, but Hillary Clinton and her campaign of 2008 started the birther controversy. I finished it. I finished it. You know what I mean. President Barack Obama was born in the United States, period. Now we all want to get back to making America strong and great again now i don't like comparing anyone to donald trump but i'm going to anyway if someone like donald trump can finally admit that he was wrong and he would look like a complete fool if he doesn't and to recognize finally once and for all that obama could legitimately become the president of the united states then surely anyone can admit that Jesus is truly the Messiah. When the evidence is so clear and convincing, so overwhelming and tremendous, that Jesus came from God the Father, that Jesus has gone back to God the Father, that Jesus has poured out his Spirit onto everyone who believes in him and has received eternal life. So friends... Let's come to Jesus and drink from him. Let's believe in him and receive his spirit. Let's trust in him and have eternal life. Amen.